Welcome to Peeves Gab Fest, a chapter-by-chapter, page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. I'm Meeks. How are you guys today? Good. Good. Ready to dive into this next chapter? Yeah, it's nice and hot in California. It was a little cooler today, but we still got outside and played a little bit. We're we're pretty good here. Oh, so nice. Good. Well, today we are analyzing Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 4, The Keeper of the Keys, and minutes 1255 to 1855 of the film, but also minutes 29-21 through 31-33. In this chapter, we find out who knocked at the door, Harry receives his letter, and secrets about Harry's past are revealed. As a quick reminder, we will be using our vast knowledge of the wizarding world to compare the page to the screen, and we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or the films. You've been warned, Ickle Firsties. Now, without further ado, let's cause some mischief. Hagrid smashes through the door, lights a fire, and makes some tea and sausages. And finally, Harry gets his letter. I know. I I remember reading this. I mean, it was a long, long time ago when I read this for the first time. But I remember just being like, what a wonderful world Harry's about to enter. Like, I was just so, in my little kid brain, you know, so excited for him that he was finally getting this. And... So I like this. I like this chapter because it's like pretty soon into the book, right? We get we already are getting some answers and we know the story is about to change. Well, and it's a quick chapter, but we get so much context and history and like composition in this Mm -hmm. chapter. Um, Like you said, like he finally gets his letter. He gets his questions answered. And it's just so nice to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I just really. Yeah. I do like all the context and. As we're gonna, um, I'm sure, talk about as we compare it to the movies. The movie takes out some of the context. I feel like that, you know, there's more details in the book, but um, overall, yeah, we get just an understanding of, you know, because we know something's off with what Harry's life is like when he's with the Dursleys. And so it's just fun when things start making sense. Mm-hmm. Something I noticed on this rewatch was that Vernon said, who's there, very quietly in the film. And I hadn't realized that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and because he does, they do have this whole Hagrid is knocking on the door. Everybody's waking up. And uh, in the books, he does ask the question. And I never thought that that was in the film until I rewatched it today. And it's just a really quick, uh, subtle little line. Right. But I was like, oh, it is in the film. Yeah, that is good that they added that in. It's all those little details that it's more. It was right more of a uh, what? What's it called? It was more of a like I'm super scared. Who's there? Versus what in the mm-hmm. book? It's kind of like who's there? Kind of scenario, right? Because he shouted. It's right. Another line yeah, that was not in the film actually is when Dudley wakes up and he's like, "Where's the cannon?" And then it's. I love that so much we all know that the books are from Harry's perspective and so Mm -hmm. the line is where's the canon Dudley said stupidly and I just think that's so funny because throughout the series Harry 
is so sassy, which we don't really get Mm -hmm. a lot in the films. But just saying that Dudley said it stupidly, you get that perspective from Harry uh, that he's just so annoyed and just does not love that cousin of his. (laughs) Sarah Day, that is the first thing that I wrote down in my notes (laughs) as I was like after I had read it and then watched uh, started watching it because I said I wish they could translate Harry's dry Mm -hmm. wit because that line is a good example that you gave and there's just so many times like when well like it's right at the end I guess of chapter three when or chapter the letters from no one what are we doing we're doing chapter four okay chapter three when he says like maybe when the clock is ticking down or his watch is ticking down and he's like maybe I should wake Dudley up just to annoy him that's so funny it's like such a simple funny little line and it's just in Harry's head so there's like I don't know how they'd be able to translate that to the movie, but, like, there are so many things like that that jump out at me that are just so, like, cute and funny and dry that really make Harry's, you know, personality what it is. And and I think this is actually true for a lot of the characters. I think J.K. Rowling is really good at writing uh, witty um, dialogue and internal mm-hmm. monologue like that and so sometimes it's just hard to make that happen in films if it's an internal monologue but um, I do wish that they could have translated that better James do you have any thoughts on the Hagrid entrance? I have no thoughts I thought it was very uh, straightforward and there isn't really anything there for me to kind of nitpick because I kind of liked what they did in the film and I feel like I kind of mm-hmm. strode through from the movie. Can they add more? Yes, but I really didn't feel like there was much to add there. But after the conversation afterwards, that's kind of where all the meaty stuff is. Right. And before he gets into who he is and what Harry is, he lights the fire, and in the book, <laughs> you he gets in front of the fireplace, so you don't see that he uses his umbrella, mm-hmm. uh, but in the films, you do see that he uses the umbrella to light the fire, which shows magic before he explains what's going on, and so I thought yeah. in the books, it kind of leaves that mystery, and so when mm-hmm. he does tell Harry that he's a wizard, he doesn't believe him, but in the books... I mean, in the film, when he doesn't believe him, it's like, you just saw it, Harry. He just lit the fire with his umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, see, I like that, the conversation in the books, because, and I'm sure we'll get more into it, but as Haggard is like, you don't know anything about anything. And then once again, Harry's kind of his witty internal monologue, and he's like, well, wait a second, my marks aren't bad at school. Like, I don't, I don't know right. nothing, you know? And so it's kind of cute, because Harry's trying to, like, still figure out what's going on and Harry is yelling at Vernon about how Harry doesn't know anything and there's still that mystery going on and Harry can tell that he's missing something and so it just kind of goes on for a little bit and to me it 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 builds up a better um, it makes more sense whereas in the films they just kind of get right into it and it it just feels it feels kind of forced and then it to me it ends up falling a little bit flat when it's like the big reveal that mm-hmm. Harry's a wizard because it's like well we it it's almost like it it spoiled it before the conversation could even happen and so um i thought i thought that was an interesting choice that they made for the films because that could have been easily done exactly how the book was you know they didn't have to change it that yeah, much so. I, I felt a lot about this chapter was 
interesting changes. And not to mention the mm-hmm. fact that this conversation is broken up into multiple parts. Um, so it's not just the scene. Yeah. There's other parts of this conversation later in the film. Um, and it's, I mean, maybe it's just the juxtaposition that they didn't want this, these pieces of information happening in this one dark location. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. The buildup is just not there in the film. Well, yeah, because yeah. essentially the yeah. film takes it into two different directions. Oh, you're a wizard, Harry, and uh, all this other stuff. And how dare you didn't tell them all that. And come on, they just they lay up and leave right away. Uh, they, he, he, mm-hmm. They're kind of just like, okay, hey, it's time to go. And then in the film, they've already been to Diagon Alley. He's experienced all these things. Harry then asks the question, which in the film would be would have been appropriate. Hey. Uh, why am I famous? Like, why are why yeah. do all these people know me? And Hagrid's like, I don't know if I should tell you. Whereas in the book, there's a series of questions that happen because an exchange between Vernon Dursley and Hagrid is happening, which is developing the questions that Harry has, which is, makes it more sense. Whereas yeah. in the film, that inter exchange between Hagrid and Vernon isn't happening. Right. Yeah, Hagrid's kind of just like, yeah, just like take your gun, you big old prune. I'm just gonna go address Harry from now on. Yeah, and they do have the um, we'll 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 talk about it in a minute, but they do have that a little bit of that exchange. But you're right, there's much more exchange happening in the book, and it just helps the conversation flow better. Um, and I just don't understand why they just didn't have that play out the way it does in the book. Yeah. I mean, I, my only guess is that they just wanted to save time. And so they were trying to, okay, actually I have two theories. So my first theory is that they were trying to save time. And so they were just cutting the scene short. But that, again, just like with the first, I feel like this, to me, the difference between this chapter and the first one is really similar where they could have made this scene like three minutes longer and developed so much more of the background and the right. context well, so i the, don't understand it the piece that comes later is minutes 29 21 to 31 33 so that's mm-hmm. three four minutes like you just said they could just add why couldn't they just add that dialogue to that scene that first scene in the shot yeah. well it just comes down to from a director's perspective me having had the ability to have directed things before the the question that you always come down to is is it pertinent to what i am trying to tell in the story and when it comes to mm-hmm. adaptations you're trying to be as close to the source material as you possibly can but also making it unique in your own and or your other things like that so christopher columbus the guy uh, i think is christopher columbus Yes, is the director. Is the, the director movie. of the film? It's just it sounds like yes. a whole different. It threw me off. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Christopher Columbus, the director of the first and second film, he had like a vision of what this world was supposed to be like and how he wanted to put it together. And so some of the things in the book probably just didn't match up to what the world was supposed to be. Which in the end was it was supposed to be a kids film. He's making this mm-hmm. for children. He's not making this for adults or anything like that. It was supposed to be lighthearted, fun, a little fun adventure, which is what it was designed to be. And 
having that conversation probably wasn't what interested kids at the time. And so when you're thinking about how these pieces fit, this information just may not be relevant at the moment, whereas down the line, story-wise, it needs to be relevant later. Yeah, that's a really great point about it being a children's movie and particularly the first two films are so much more vibrant I don't know for lack of a better word than the rest of the films Um, very much more aimed towards younger children than the rest of the films are and that was one note I put that the fear and the emotion and the anger that Hagrid has that was all gone from this scene Mm -hmm. and I think that I think you nailed the hit the nail on the head, James, where you're saying he was trying to make this more of a children's movie than the book. I mean, even the book is a, is a children's story, but um, make it a little bit more lighthearted for the films. See, I'm going to be annoying and actually say that I I feel like plot wise, they simplified it, like they took out extra stuff that we as adults notice, mm. you know, and tried to kind of simplify it but for me the result of the movie feels like a much more serious movie than the book is and so i i feel like the the move or the book and not just this book but all of the books in general actually even though they're dealing with such heavy stuff i feel like the books feel so much more lighthearted, and the movies end up feeling it's like they're pushing the mysterious, um, intense magic. And they're like kind of going for that, which is fine. I feel like my opinion, and it doesn't really matter, Mm -hmm. like if people agree with me or not, because it's what, you know, however we all interpret it is totally fine, you know, up to whatever we want. But I feel like Christopher Columbus made an excellent film and like what he was able to do, especially with all these kid actors and like this magical world that he built. Like, I think he made a fantastic mm-hmm. film and he built a beautiful world. So like, I don't really have an issue with um, with that, like it being a film on right. its own. But I just, I, f- I feel like he took away a lot of, and it might not have all been him. There, who knows who else had a hand in deciding what was, what was gonna... Yeah. Um, how the story was going to go and all of that. But, um, but I just feel like a lot of the lighthearted kidness of it was actually taken out when the film was made, even though the plot was clearly simplified and there were a lot of like extraneous things. That well, they I'm out. mentioning that he's taking out some of that anger Hagrid had and that intensity and that fear to make it more lighthearted. But I think he, he also took out the humor. Like he took out a lot of the emotions mm-hmm. that the book has. And I think that mm-hmm. may, me, he was trying to balance that out, but, uh, as well, it comes down to creators. what directors are good at. Not every director is good with every element in a film. Um, so right. some people really do humor very well, whereas others don't even want to try and touch it because it's just not what they're used to. It's not what they know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why directors become so predictable um, and like they have a style like so to speak mm-hmm, is because mm-hmm. they they know what they know and they just they do what they know so and they're good at what they're, and good, they're good at, at yeah. what they're good at so like directors like taika waititi or dia uh Gil, guillermo del toro guillermo there you go i couldn't figure out the rest of the name 
uh, Guillermo del Toro or um, a few of these other uh, directors that I just can't think of it at the moment because, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're all thinking of like the same probably five directors yeah, that are very popular. Yeah. Michael, Michael Bay, there was another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all... Mm-hmm got these things that they just like to tie into and their the their films are seem so similar is because they're just used to all of the things that they they do they they don't branch themselves out because if they branch themselves out they rarely uh they rarely see success because they're experimenting with things that are unknown to them uh which is like right. why mm-hmm. Josh Whedon for example uh struggled doing things outside of his comfort zone when he did Avengers or when he did the Justice League is because he was out trying to experiment things outside of his comfort zone and he had people giving advice about things uh, that he wasn't comfortable with and it just made him kind of regret going into that avenue and just wanted to go back to TV because TV right. versus film. Well, and I wouldn't say that Christopher monster. Columbus wasn't outside his comfort zone because like Meek said it is a really great film as a as a film, but as an adaptation, it, there is just a lot left on the on the pages. Well, um, that's what I'm saying and is that, that might not be his Well, that might not be his call. There's there's the writers, you know, and there's they had a lot of talks with JK Rowling, so I think he what the material that he was given, I think he did a great job with. Yeah. I'm not saying he didn't do a great job. I'm just saying that he probably just left some things on the table because he maybe just didn't want to add that into what he was building. So purposefully not choosing to allow a ton of humor into the film probably was just something that he was just like, yeah, Yeah. because I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on this. Well, but I would say all of the movies kind of cut out. I mean, Harry's sass is throughout all the books and we never really see that in any of the films. Um, so that that humor was cut out of most of it. I don't think it was just the Chris Columbus uh, decision there. I was thinking um, two things. One, I would probably will never know her real answer, but I'm very curious how J.K. Rowling actually feels about her books and how they translated into movies. And I don't think we'll ever get the actual truth from her because she has to say certain things. Um, and then two uh the third and fourth movies which obviously we'll talk about when we get to that point in much more detail but the feeling the humor in those movies is so much different than the rest of them and um those books aren't necessarily hilarious and humorous and the rest aren't like it's it's very clear that the feeling of how the movies were put together how they were written are so much more humor based and so it's really interesting i just love that we're doing this deep dive like going slowly chapter by chapter um through all of these movies and through all of the books because it's been a while since i've done a really deep dive like this and so i'm just curious to see like how our opinions shift as we as the three of us go through this and then hearing what people who are listening and following along with us what they have to say as well but anyways it's just really interesting how how the feeling of those two movies in particular is so much different and the music in those is really yeah. different although the color on a side note yeah yeah the coloring is way 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 different and then the fifth sixth seventh and eighth movies the coloring is 
completely different too. So it, they definitely made very specific choices for a lot of aspects, which of course that's how every movie is. But when the tone of the books doesn't shift that much between the book, like they all feel pretty much the same, but there's also one person writing them. Whereas for the movies, there are so many different people that have to, that are touching it. So of course it's going to feel different, but anyways, it is different to see how it's like different eras of a few movies at a time. But as a side note though, one of the things that I wrote down multiple times as I was um, watching Actually, I I mean, I think I've thought about it every time that I've watched the scenes that we've done so far, but I love the music in this movie and in all of the movies. But this is like, I mean, I have goosebumps just thinking about it. The the score for this film is absolutely beautiful and perfect. And they nail it every time. Let's get back to music. music. But I want to answer your first point about JKR and what she really feels about the film. Because she's an executive producer on the show. So we are going to get that answer. Maybe not directly, but we're going to see how she wanted this to be visually because of the show. I really hope that comes through. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited because I don't – I – I think she, I don't know, (laughs) but I think she probably was fine with many of the things that they did, but I think that there are plenty of things that she didn't have control of that, you know, that she didn't necessarily like, and so I cannot wait to see what her vision is. Sorry, this out for this reason. Uh, This is probably not pertinent to to a, a movie type scenario. They probably could have come up with a mm-hmm. bunch of different excuses to to cut things out, and that's just how it goes when it when you're oh, coming yeah. to taking such a large story and putting it into such a small avenue. There's just there has to be things that you're gonna get rid of, and yeah. it's just it's just what is like continually frustrating. And we're we're only a couple chapters in, but what is continually frustrating to me is how many very simple, in my opinion, very simple moments of dialogue or um, scenes like for example Hagrid and how he lit the fire like that completely changes the scene exactly. when he just points the umbrella compared to when he's like fumbling with the fire and you don't see what's going on that's completely yeah. different and that's the same amount of time that they could have exactly. taken and so that's what is so frustrating to me about these adaptations is is that there are so there are so many things that they could have done and so I just don't fully understand why I mean, obviously, it just boils down to what the vision was right. for what the what they wanted the movie to look like. But I just, I don't like it. <laughs> Bringing it back to music, that is the very first thing I wrote down when I was watching mm-hmm. this clip. Because the, going back to the very beginning, the music is building up as each pound of the door comes down. And then the door comes down and this big, massive figure walks in and the music is building and building and building. And then it stops. And Hagrid's like, sorry about that. (laughs) And like the music just adds so much to that scene. And that, yeah. And then you immediately get that Hagrid is not this fearful character, that he Mm. is a sweetheart because the it stops and completely changes the mood of that scene where he apologizes for the door. I do think that they did that perfectly well, or I as mean, perfectly as they can like john i think that they williams did such a good job of a that. great composer as is john williams will always yeah. be yeah yeah one of my favorite composers of all time and mm-hmm. the oh, reason absolutely. probably why it's perfect is because he's perfect so yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> 
I would be curious. I think about this every once in a while. This is just a side note, but um, like Hans Zimmer, if he had done the the music for this, because I love mm-hmm. him as well. And there's a couple composers who are like I I feel like all kind of fit in that category of just absolutely flawlessly amazing at what they do. And you know, they of course they all have their different feel, but like they're just they can't really go wrong. Like they just they're always nailing it, and so. I do think about this every once in a while, like, not that I would want John Williams to not compose the score for this, but it would be fun if we were ever able to, like, if if Hans Zimmer ever was like, okay, this is what I would do for this, and we were able to, like, get a soundtrack and, like, different versions of the movie just with their different interpretations of what they would do for the music, that would be, that'd be a fun little project for them to do and for me to listen to, <laughs> so maybe, maybe someday, once we get really famous, we can ask right. them to do it, and... We can have a whole episode just on music that would be great yeah they can be guests on i'll let han zimmer join the podcast well, for an what's, episode That'd what's be interestingly like about it all is that it, the this music defines the music for the rest of the the rest of the series you're right yes. even though john Absolutely. williams only did the first two movies everybody else that followed through had a foundation they didn't necessarily create something new uh, every single movie they Mm-mm. they expounded upon what was already given and they they formed different versions of the song sadder versions of the song uh they they expanded it upon what the feel of the movie and the tone of the movie was supposed to be so in the end john williams is kind of the harry potter theme and the heg or i think it's called hedwig's theme hedwig's theme uh hedwig's theme is like the just the foundation of what we know to be mm-hmm. harry potter and this wizarding world and every time yeah it becomes it's become recognizable for everybody so you can't just go out and say oh, oh this yeah. is no longer harry potter you just you turn that on and you're just like oh nope that's harry potter like you just automatically know i was just gonna say it's just amazing to think about like how even people who aren't Harry Potter fans really I mean maybe I'm wrong maybe people who don't know Harry Potter okay I was gonna say write in if you don't or if you're not a Harry Potter fan you're for some (laughs) reason listening to this and um (laughs) and you don't recognize the music but I mean it's like I'm at that same level as Star Wars and Marvel I would say at this point is there and then I mean Star Wars might be the old the other the probably one of the most famous you know, you only need the first few bars and you know Jurassic exactly Park. what it is, whether you've also watched done by John Yeah, Williams. whether you've watched it or not. Yeah. And so it's really it's wonderful to think that even though there are plenty of people who are not Harry Potter fans and um, you know, it's such a famous little theme, just the first yeah. couple well, seconds. That's why of it. I think and John it's Williams so famous is great and, is because yeah. you just mentioned like three or four different like examples and the majority of them were done by by him. He's he's really good yeah. at creating a memorable theme for not only like the yeah. movie but like these characters. Like Leia's theme is like amazing. Mm-hmm. Luke's theme is is really strong. Uh, Jurassic Park when they when they see all the dinosaurs come to life in the movie, like that theme in of itself is just like amazing. E. T. Superman like Superman. Is yeah, forever Jaws. going to have Superman and Jaws even oh, like yeah. you hear that did, and you did just imagine Jaws? yeah he he did Jaws you just imagine the shark yeah. coming after you you're just like he's really good at making these identifying themes that match the character mm-hmm. or the world or the tone of what's supposed to be happening mm-hmm. like that sense of dread everybody thinks of 
da 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 like that's just dreadful now like you just you feel that I and mean, just and, yeah. and he's really good at doing that he has the right job yeah. for sure and it's going to be interesting i know a lot of people are talking about the cast and how they're not going to be able to get over you know emma dan and uh rupert being the trio and one thing to think about is the music like what is the difference of music is going to be like because there's the whole mm, and hbo yeah. always nails their opening sequence and always has great music to that opening sequence so it's going to be really fascinating to see what that's going to look like do we know if they're allowed to change it at all like if they how much they have to stick to like i don't know do the does the movie still own the you know warner brothers do they still own well, the is, rights to it, right isn't warner brothers and hbo and discovery all this this is why hbo is turning to max right because they're all the same company now so yeah i mean they still own mm-hmm. it's still warner brothers yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to see what oh, it is. It's going to be really, really fascinating. But let's get back to the chapter. <laughs> Anyways, Hagrid, lighting the fire. I have – I don't know if there's something specific, Sarah Day, you want us to talk about next, but I have some things about that scene when Her- when Hagrid is lighting the fire before they start having the conversation. Yeah, let's talk about it. If this is a good time to have that. I love, in the books, when there's that long paragraph of all of the things that he's pulling out of his pockets – and I love that that also comes in to later chapters, too. Um, I love a good callback. <laughs> but I love that he's, like, he's just pulling out, like, the chipped mugs and the package, uh, packet of sausages and, like, just, like, all these things. And it's so, it's so, again, so simple and funny and such an easy thing that they could have added in if they wanted that to be the vibe in the movie, which they clearly didn't. Otherwise, they would have kept it in. But that's one of the things that I love about like these books in general and then about Haggard's character and even though I do think that they did a good job throughout the films in general of making hair or showing that Haggard is like you know he's this big fierce looking giant half giant but he's still very sweet so I think that they did a good job of capturing that however there are so many funny little lines funny little things that Haggard does like this that they took out and I wish that they would have kept in because I think that it just adds a, a very simple layer of humor to, to keep it really yeah, light and to balance the anger that he's about to have for the Dursleys. Yes. Yes. Which exactly. is a lot. Uh, as I was reading it, it was kind of just, it was a slow build for sure. He wasn't yeah. super mad at first, but he was like, really? They didn't tell you anything. You don't know anything. Right, the more questions that are being answered, the more anger he he feels. Because he's just like, "What? You're trying to do what? Like you can't, right? You can't take these two people I love and crush their child into making him nothing. Like, how dare you?" Yeah, I do love, and we've already kind of touched on this, but um, in the book, that conversation, I love how that builds of Haggard getting more and more angry with Vernon and him like yelling more, and then it's like he'll like. He'll yell at Dursley, at Vernon, and then he'll calm down and talk to Harry a little bit. And then he'll yell again because Vernon will say something else that's stupid. And then he'll yell again and then he'll calm down and then yell. And you still don't know what's going on until finally Hagrid tells Harry, you know, oh, yes, your parents were killed by this evil wizard. And and so I love how they do that build up. They like, he gets so angry, but it's still built up and you still don't exactly know what's going on. And then finally we find out. And so, again... In the films, the way that they adapted it, they just like made it one quick 
intense conversation kind of thing and it took out a lot of the And I mentioned this in chapter one, but you see it again in this chapter that they just don't talk about the impact that Lily and James had on these people. And, you know, they probably didn't even know about the Order of the Phoenix at this point because the books were still coming out. But this was a group of people that were really close. And um, who knows if JK knew about it when she was writing the books, but even in the first book, there was a lot of love for Lily and James that you don't see in the film. Um, And that's evident. Well, it's evident in this chapter when Hagrid is talking about Lily and James and that, Harry is this couple's son and he can't believe that these people have done this to Lillian James's son. Um, and you just don't get that emotion in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we don't really, I mean, it's more like, Oh, his parents are dead. It's sad. Yeah. And it's like, it's sad because we know as audience members that it's supposed to be sad, but like, they they don't That's expound it. on and who, then to who me, the characters are. They are. No. Yeah. And then it doesn't, to me, I can't, um, I will have to ask somebody who has watched the movies and not read the books yet until now. But to me, it just makes it so that as Harry in, you know, the neck of the following chapters, well, I guess, and also throughout the, throughout the series, it comes up here and there, but like, when he starts to find out that he is famous, it to me it doesn't really click in the movies because they don't ever really, really take the time to cover like that that impact that that Lily and James had and Voldemort even. I I don't know. It just feels right. like again, just kind of falls flat. And so it feels like when Harry which we'll talk about in the next one, of course, but when Harry's like finding out about that he's famous, it just is like, okay, wait, what? Like why why is this even a part of it? I don't know. To me, it just doesn't really right. click very well. There was a line somewhere, and I can't remember if we talked about it or if I read this in one of the reference books, but they talk about how Voldemort's rise to power the first time um, was – oh, yes. In chapter one, Dumbledore and McGonagall are talking about how the Wizarding World didn't have much to celebrate for the past 10 years – So, because that was the rise of Voldemort the first time. So, this figure has been this over-looming fear in the wizarding world for almost a decade. And he's finally gone. And that's because he tried to... Well, he did kill Lily and James and tried to kill Harry. And so, finally, after 11 years, this evil wizard has perished because of this tiny baby. And you don't get that... Uh, information from because mm-hmm. they just kind of gloss over who they are and what happened. <laughs> it's a pretty important plot. And you point never really get the sense of you never get really get the sense of who Voldemort is until like movie four, when right when and he starts appearing, yeah. and then like you feel like the darkness and all that stuff. Like the whole, the entire first four movies are you you, you see him once. He's brought up a couple of times in in the second one, and then like he's barely talked about in the third one. Mm-hmm. And like I said in chapter one, if you remember in the book, they mention his name, and they talk about how Dumbledore is the only person Voldemort wasn't afraid of, was afraid of. Sorry, was afraid of. And again, they didn't mention his name in the movie at all. 
Um, and then they didn't until this point. And maybe that's why they didn't do it in the film is because they wanted it to be impactful in, in this particular moment. But was it impactful? When I, I, first I don't watched, think so because they I split up the chapter it, so much. I, th- I thought it worked really well. The way that, to me, uh, just as I'm watching, as I'm watching the movie again, and I'm trying to just like, I'm dissecting these little parts. Like that moment felt really authentic between the two actors and it really like had a little impact and the music really did really really good to kind of emphasize the the warning of this is a ominous figure that you're going to be facing uh as you go along so i I, think it i think it hit the beats it just was out of place compared to where it was in the book mm mm-hmm well, and and I agree. I think that if you're just looking at it as a movie, I do think that um, the way that they had that conversation and where they put it in the in the movie makes total sense for the film for the way that they did the film. I still don't think that that should have been like how that whole scene happened. But I think just like looking at it from only a film's lens, that conversation happening is fine where it is. I agree. The music is good with it. And the talk that Harry and Hagrid have, I feel like they could, they do connect well, but I don't think that it, it, it had to be that way. I think that they could have kept it as the book had it. And that would have also been just I just, just had fine. a point, uh, a thought, and I didn't write it down and I forgot. But as you were talking, it came back to mind. And James, I think you're going to like this because you're a Dursley stan. <laughs> but in okay, in the books, he's talking about Voldemort and how evil Voldemort is. And the Dursleys are still there because I don't believe he's done the pigtail yet. And this is a moment where they can cut to Petunia's expressions because this is Mm -hmm. telling the story of how her sister died and that can give us just a tiny little glimpse of love Uh, for her this is the first time she's probably hearing the story exactly besides the letter who knows what dumbledore wrote in that who knows what the i don't think dumbledore i don't think dumbledore went into deep detail of like how they died no he had to because I think he had to, though, spoiler warning for much later for anybody listening who hasn't finished the series. But doesn't he talk about um, in like the sixth book, I, I think, book think five. Are you talking but about the maybe letter? when Harry visits him in the seventh, that he talks about how he had to tell Harry about um, th- about the Dursleys knew or maybe it was earlier well, than in that book because five, the Dursleys knew that the Fidelius charm was put on the house. So I think that Dumbledore did tell them everything because that's how the Dursleys knew that they had to accept Harry coming back home, right? right I mean, we, don't, we still five, don't know exactly Dumbledore how much Dumbledore has but... to send the Howler to Petunia. And he's like, remember my last Petunia. Yeah. And it's like, Harry has to stay at the house. And that's why she's like, no, Vernon, he has to stay here. So I, I don't, but I don't know that she necessarily knows how they died. Just that, you know, yeah. this... They died. This person's after Harry. He needs to live here for the protection. Um, but Hagrid is going into details about this man broke into their house, slaughtered them, and tried to kill you too, but you survived. Yeah, I don't think that's and... details you put in a letter to tell your your <laughs> dead about your dead sister. Just yeah, that this guy's after Harry. Um, but yeah, so back to my point that this could be a moment sorry <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> get you off track back to my point this is a great opportunity to show just a little emotion not a lot because we still have a few years 
of them mistreating Harry, but just a little emotion that she does care for her sister. Um, so that in that last book, when they do have that moment of saying goodbye and a little bit of a redemption, that we can we can start to place those Easter eggs now. Yeah, I do like um, one of the few things that I do like about the movie adaptation over the book <laughs> is that they had Petunia be the one to give her speech, which absolutely love how mm-hmm. she did it um, in this scene. And instead of it being Vernon, because I feel like Vernon is, it, it made sense in the books, like he's he's more of a, of the main character as far as the Dursley family goes, you know, and Petunia's much more of the side character. So it makes sense that like Vernon is going to be the one to like pretend to be brave and stand up for his family and fight back against Hagrid. But talking about what you were just saying about um, Petunia having some feelings toward her, very complicated feelings. And we find out much later on, spoiler alert again, that she wanted, like, she asked Dumbledore if she could go to Hogwarts, even though she was a muggle. And so, like, we find out that Petunia, this very, these very complicated feelings that she has don't come from an actual hatred of her sister, but from, uh, you know, that bitterness and resentment that she didn't get that and from her being insecure and all of that. Anyway, so I love that in the film, they had Petunia be the one to show all of this emotion because I think that that it just would I don't know it to me it would just make more sense in yeah. real life for her to be the one but I do also understand that she's you know meek and timid that's how she's written and so it also makes sense that she would stand back but knowing that you're right like these are this is probably the first time that she is hearing this much detail about her sister dying and so she's of course going to be the one to have that raw emotion and lash out and so I do like that in the film they chose her to be the one well she does have the same dialogue her. in the book that she does in the film, but Vernon. No. I thought Vernon had a lot he of that same dialogue. He has a ton of dialogue that is cut in the film, but, but what that particular she says part, is exactly my sister the being same. what she is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're but yeah, you're right. But I was thinking, okay, dialogue yeah. cut. Um, but her line is the same in the book. But I think that I think your point still stands, Meeks, because Vernon's dialogue was cut down. That 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 emotional yeah. burst does have that same effect. Yep. Okay, so then, yes, you're right. Now I'm remembering this. So my um, my addendum to what I just said is that I'm glad that if they were going to cut anybody's dialogue out, that they cut out Vernon's and left yeah. in um, Petunia's. <laughs> and I, I, I do want to clarify, I'm not a fan of the Dursleys. I'm a fan of their <laughs> character arc. Because I feel like their character... Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I really love character moments. And I really love how characters grow because it brings a sense of mm. realism to them and like you can see that yeah. happening like oh i can see a person reacting this way because of this and this reason that's why i love Sirius mm. black and that's why i love dolores umbridge which is a crazy thing to say but dolores umbridge has real character moments despicable as they are i really hate her as like a as like a person like she's just despicable, but she has character arcs that make her a real character that makes me love how she was written. And so the Dursleys are the same way. The yeah. Dursleys have so much character in them that was just taken out of the films, just like so many of these other characters. Yes. That it's going to be exciting to see 
when they make a TV show, how much mm-hmm. more of that character they're going to be able to add into it because that's going to make I, it, yeah, that's going to make really us love so. some of these characters just as much as we've loved them in the books because there's just so much depth that we're missing. Like these moments of, oh, Petunia uh, caring about her sister or Vernon um, losing his sense of uh, of a perfect world kind of scenario. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think JK, one of her very, very strong points, and she does have many as a writer, but one of them is how she can write character arcs. And um, her characters very rarely, in my opinion, fall flat. And I think that in the films, a lot of the characters fall flat. Even the main characters that we still love, but there are a lot of character arcs that don't happen for even the main ones. And so, yeah, with the hopefully with room to breathe these all of these character arcs and plot lines and stuff will be expanded upon more and will will you know the characters will be more likable or at least more um relatable or more entertaining yeah to there's watch a lot we'll get of more conversation to be had about harry ron and hermione and the changes they made to the films and Ginny. oh my god yes one yeah. of the big ones um, okay, well, yeah. any what what else do you guys have written down as part of your notes? What else do you guys want to discuss before we get into our peeves, pleasures, peeves, and salutes? I think we should just um, jump into okay, looking it. At my... I'm ready to jump into uh. it. But you had a note? Can I? I have a couple yeah. more things. I have a couple quick things. Um, I loved seeing baby Daniel Radcliffe getting mad a little bit mad in the film I just love that like kind of as a side note about him as an actor and I mean I think that all of the kids in these movies do such a good job for for their age and for um for some of them their lack of experience that they might have like I think they do such a good job and so I love seeing when Harry in the movie, or I guess when Daniel Radcliffe in the movie goes, you knew, you knew all along and you never told me. Like, I just, he has a couple of those lines where he like really gets to express his emotions, especially when he's angry. And I just truly, truly love seeing that. So that's one of the I'm things that I really like. back off of that because there okay. is a moment where Hagrid is yelling at the Dursleys and it cuts to Harry and he had, uh, Dan, and he has this smirk yeah. on his face. Like he's so <laughs> excited to see the Dursleys. Somebody put I the Dursleys it. in their place and he's never seen that before. Yeah. So the smile that he has on his face is so cute. That's true. And yeah. I'll, I, I forgot um, that I wanted to say this, but I love how Hagrid's anger grows. I said that before, like it's growing, yeah. but it get in the, book, in the book it's growing and growing and growing but then it mm-hmm. gets so much more stronger when vernon dursley yeah. insults dumbledore and yes. he's just oh, like he's that, no yeah. longer screaming he's no longer yelling like he was he's just like never insult dumbledore mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just like oh crap that they i love that again if they're going to keep certain things in the movie that were in the book. I do love that they kept that because I think that the they knew making the film um and they did they did right by the film by knowing how important that line was because of how much weight it has. It's not just a throwaway line that is very important for like moving forward with the whole rest of the storyline. And so I do love that they kept that in. I think that was that would have 
not been great if they had taken that out. So I'm glad yeah. that they recognized how and important that was. And important to not just the storyline, but Hagrid's storyline. After he got expelled, Dumbledore right. was the one that let him stay. So it is important to see right. that loyalty to him. Well, and you have that you have so many yeah. examples and of my- that happening throughout everybody that's associated with Dumbledore. Uh, Hagrid's just one of the many few people who had bad things happen to him circumstantially that were just out of his control and all he needed was um, someone to just say hey you're it's okay come on on and uh, he took care of him and that's why so many people adore Dumbledore is because Dumbledore uh, Mm. chose to do things that made uh, that earned their respect and that made them trust him Uh, as as crazy as Dumbledore is as a character and some of the actions may not have been the best actions he could have ever chosen. He was always good at creating loyalty to those around him uh, and making, Mm -hmm. making people feel important, even though the world would say otherwise. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, And my, my last thing for this scene, and we've already kind of talked about it, but but I am really curious, again, I'm going to be so curious forevermore about people who have watched the movies and not read the books yet, but like the scene, I feel like, I feel like one of the things that they kept just to like, ha- you know, hit their marker about like keeping things close to the book, one of the, the uh, dialogue moments the sentences that Hagrid says is dry up Dursley you great prune and then he like bends the gun you know that was like pulled almost exactly from the book but to me it felt strange in the film and then like when uh when he gives Dudley the pigtail and then I feel like after he gets the pigtail and it like he you know he's running around and Petunia or Fiona Shaw does a great job screaming she's She's a a really good screamer I feel like we're finding (laughs) yeah and so you know I feel like they do a good job of like making that silly and giggly and kid friendly like they you know that's something that kids would like to see so I feel like they do a good job with that but there isn't really the same build up like there is in the books and so even that moment feels a little out of place to me it feels like why would you all of a sudden just give Dudley a pigtail like a pig's tail so uh, listeners please write in and tell Meigs how you feel about these this scene with Hagrid doing his magic stuff and some of Hagrid's dialogue and tell me if you feel out of place or if I am over analyzing mm. it and I and I feel like it's out of place but it's really not that's the last of my notes that I have <laughs> oh, wait, I have one more thing. One more really quick thing. Um, I wish that they had kept in the film Hagrid sleeping on the couch. Yeah. I didn't put that in this at the very end of the because chapter. we like wake up in the next chapter, I believe. Yeah. And there's there's a lot to talk about with that. But yes, I yeah. 100% agree that this the end of the scene basically is just uh, like they leave and they don't i think i'm just stuck on the conversation <laughs> and i guess you know our keyword we're going to have to have shirts that say rushed on them <laughs> yeah um because there's just so much left out of this chapter yeah. that really would have added a lot that would have helped and didn't need to yes. be left out 
Okay, now I think for real I'm done with my notes for now. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell us your peeves pleasure? Can I um can you come back yeah, to me? Yeah, sure, James. I need to think about James, it. James, what's your peeves pleasure? Peeves pleasure. Ah, <laughs> oh, this one. This one was hard cuz it felt like it was really a small chapter in comparison. What I've been doing for the last little bit as I've been reading these chapters, I've been seeing how it can be made into a TV show. Uh which is why I want them to mm-hmm. like hire me as like either a writer or even a director of it because like I feel like I could do so well with this. <laughs> but like I was just <laughs> telling my wife yesterday how like this whole section is really just like a 15 minute 20 minute thing of an episode it's not even going to be an entire episode because it's just such a small portion you can't fill an entire episode of us just being in this cabin and talking about harry's life there's just there's nothing going on and so it's such a small portion and yet it has so much detail in it uh but really the thing i loved about it was getting to just know hagrid and his relationships with uh with Lily and James and Dumbledore and uh just him explaining the world and uh, how he's like surprised that Harry doesn't even know some of these things but then he's like super mad at the Dursleys but then he goes to Harry and he's just like uh well that you know you're you're getting this and this and this and this and then he says something where he expects Harry to know it but Harry's like what and he's like oh yeah right you don't know about the wizarding world yet uh <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just like uh i love I, I just i love that that was that was one of my favorite parts of the of the thing and, and getting to see that will be amazing whoever will play hagrid has big f- shoes to fill quite literally because he sure does robbie coltrane uh i yeah. every time i read hagrid's voice in the book it's always robbie coltrane's voice yeah. uh, i can never do uh, I can never turn it into like a different tone or a different thing. It is just I'm always hearing Robbie Coltrane speak and in my head, and it's just like, nope, yeah, that's going to be hard to to replace you. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. He was a perfect mm-hmm. Hagrid. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny that we talk so much about music and composing this episode mm-hmm. because the music was my piece pleasure for this adaptation. Yeah. I thought that they mm-hmm. just did a really great job of setting the tone. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I mean, I guess that's also my peeves pleasure. And I like, again, that they did a really great job of translating Hagrid's character. Um, and uh, I lied. I do have something else that I put in my notes. <laughs> um well, one thing that I had in my notes that I just wanted to say really quick because I feel like it's really poignant. And then another thing that I hope that they do in the films. Okay, my first thing is in the books, when Harry says sorry about not knowing something that Hagrid is like kind of being cryptic about. And then Harry says to Vernon, or he says you like, you know, to Harry that he shouldn't be sorry. And then he goes to Vernon and he's like, how could you not tell this young boy something about his life? And I think that that is a small, a small line that's so important, like showing that Harry is, you know, he's been beaten down so much by the Dursleys. And he is so quick to just apologize to the stranger about not knowing something that and 
Hagrid is there to tell him to protect, be an adult for the first time that Harry knows since his parents died, which he didn't even remember. So this is the first adult probably that Harry has ever known who has protected him and said, you should not be apologizing for this. This is on that other adult that isn't protecting you. So I just wanted to mention that, that I think that that's really important. And I think that that sort of um, concept and theme or whatever is going to come up many more times as we go through this. Um, And uh, what I want to see really badly in the films is a montage. <laughs> of That's our other t-shirt. <laughs> the whole the Voldemort <laughs> the Voldemort scene of him going. So what they do in the film is they kind of do a montage, like a flashback montage, when Harry and Hagrid are talking about Voldemort. When Her- Hagrid is introducing him to Voldemort, and they do a little bit of that in the film. And I remember when it first came out, and I like thought that that was really cool, you know. So I would love in this TV episode if they started out the episode with like a flashback montage of this, or maybe it's in the middle, maybe they cut to it in the middle or something. But I think that they should totally do like an even better, like more yes. thorough montage um, in the, at some point in this TV episode. So I just had to, got to bring up a montage. Yes, well, needs, the montage needs next. to happen. But at the beginning <laughs> of the episode is us finding out what happened at the end of the episode. Cause the end of the last episode is us figuring out Hagrid's on the door and you're just like, who's this? So the yes. episode has to start with us figuring yes. out who Hagrid is. But then as he's explaining who Voldemort does is. Does it though? Then, yes, yeah. it does. Could we have a flashback? But I don't know. We could, there's so many, look at what The Last of Us just did. They opened up so many episodes without answering first the question from the last episode. Yeah. So they very well could do a flashback. Yeah. I don't know. I, argue with you. I wouldn't like it that way. I don't know. There has to be a seamless <laughs> um, connection of, uh, as long as there's yeah, a montage, montage that's fine but anyways i guess my this brings back a point okay, so that that's i my always pleasure. keep bringing up is the fact that they have all the content now which they didn't have when they were making this film so yeah. there yeah. we learn so much more about this scene uh, the voldemort scene that in in later books that they can show you in this um, that just wasn't written yet. They didn't know. Maybe JKR didn't even know at that point in time. So that's one thing I'm really excited about this show is that there's so much they can do or not so much that they can do, but there's stuff they will know not to leave out this time around. Yes. Which is definitely yes. an interesting way of, of producing a TV show, having all of the facts and then being able to hint to future events knowing full well there's going to be a payoff for them mm-hmm. which is how no most tv Thrones. shows are written is because they're written right, knowing right, future right. events are going to happen and so they purposefully place stuff in it knowing that there's going to be a payoff down the road exactly and that's what yeah. makes some of these no. tv shows so great is because of that and so having that for harry potter is going to obviously yeah. be something that's going to benefit everybody right no game of thrones season eight over here um they should either take a page out of marvel's book when they're doing this harry potter film or have somebody who is up in the marvel sphere working on the harry potter films because obviously marvel does a great job of having that the easter eggs going on having that interconnectivity and especially with all of the spinoffs that they should do with harry potter i think that it would be very wise of them to at least pay attention to what marvel has been doing for the past what yeah 15 years now and um 
try to kind of use those same methods or or just like get Kevin Feige to be the one of the executive producers I'm sure he'd be totally fine with that right (laughs) well I think just having all of the books published is going to be you know it's gonna help so much and they're all the stuff that she did with Pottermore and all of the lore that she has said in interviews there's just so much content that's already there that she has told the story you know so there's not any question of how the story is going to end hashtag justice for peeps <laughs> definitely <laughs> um meigs did you say your peeps pleasure and all that yes she did um i guess i Great. kind of did i probably need to stop talking so somebody else <laughs> no can you do not need to stop <laughs> no, talking she go said... ahead and tell us your peeps, peeps then <laughs> no i was go just ahead, gonna James. i was just what gonna say you, that what were you she gonna said say? her peeps pleasure was the music and then she went into her two notes. That's right. She copied my piece. Yes. Yes. Peace pleasure. I mean, I did copy it. I did copy that. Um, um, I guess my peeves peeves is I feel like what I've said every time so far, just that there's just so much, um, so much humor and dry wit and stuff that they could have easily, I think, slipped into the movies. And so hopefully they just put it into the show. Well, I think they have to at this point because, I mean, you've done practically everything else. Like, all you're missing is this now. So uh, if you want something new and you want something original that people are going to love, you're going to have to add in the things that were left out. You can't just redo Sorcerer's Stone in a longer version and then just keep it the same way the movie was because what would be the point of doing that? That would just be a waste of money. Yes, we're making such good points on this podcast. So <laughs> listeners, if any of you know anybody who is working on the Harry Potter show, please make sure that they are listening to our podcast so that they can hire all three of us or at least hire us as consultants because we have a lot of good ideas for how they you should know, do the show. You know, that's one thing I've always thought Marvel should do is pre-screen the actual fans instead of like yes. the um yes. what are they called? Not the pop not, not the press, but what Critics. are the like reviewers called? The critics, yes. Instead of the critics, the fans, because we're the one that understands all of this backstory and get all of the Easter eggs that the critics don't understand. And and the ones who actually enjoy watching whatever the thing is. The critics are going into it trying to be (laughs) critical. And, I mean, it's just like how every, I feel like every technology program or, you know, whatever has, or software program, the people who are, like, building it are not the end mm-hmm. user so they're like building it for what they think and then they don't actually use it and it's like can you just like ask me who uses whatever software program that I'm required to use for work <laughs> like can you just ask me how I feel and how I use it because I feel like you have a different idea of how this is actually being used so I feel like the same thing happens with movie and tv where yeah they're like not asking anybody who's actually using it or watching it and so they're just like coming up with all these ideas and it's like nobody wants that who wants that um we are going off on a lot of tangents tonight and i've kind of lost track of where we were who has given their peeves peeves Peeves, i know that but who's gone me yes that's my turn uh peeves peeves i really don't think there was anything in this chapter nor in the movie that really like got me or irked me 
uh, I really liked the chapter. I really like how everything was good. Uh, and, and I come from an understanding of why they probably left some things out of the movie. And like I said, I loved the music. I loved the buildup. I, I loved the characters that were portrayed by the actors. So really, I don't think there was anything that kind of just stood out to me. And that's probably because I'm just seeing it as a small portion of the actual story. When we get into Diagon right. Alley, I'm probably going to have like a ton of things that I'm going to be like, I wish they put this in and I wish they put that in and I wish this and I wish that. But here I just I see it as such a small portion of what can be portrayed in the episode that it you can easily do all of that in like a 15 to 20 minute standpoint. Easy. I don't see how they they can't do that. And I think that's even a long time. Like, I think they could do it less than 10 minutes, probably. Probably even um, if they want yeah. that flashback montage, it's got to be 15 minutes. That's true. I do want to fly back. <laughs> I so, want it so bad. I, I'm just I, I I just see it as a potential of them being able to add everything in that chapter in. I don't think there's going to be anything that's left out. Really, uh, I feel like if they really work on it, that could be a really a good addition to what comes next, and that is Harry discovering the Wizarding World. Uh, and that I think is awesome. And that I think is there. So I loved how the movie did it. I don't have a problem with them cutting out as much as they did, uh, because how the movie was set up, I thought it was just a nice little transition into Harry discovering the magical world, which is what I think this chapter is doing. It's opening Harry's eyes to this whole new world that he didn't even know he was a part of. And it's serving as his, diving board into a into an environment and a and a whole bunch of new questions and wonders and things that he is just so awe-inspired of which uh we get to jump into in the next chapter so mm-hmm. i like that point that if they had it cut out of the films or yeah like they cut out some stuff from the books that should have made it into the films then at least they have this opportunity now to put it into the into the TV show to make sure that it's different. Yes, I wrote down the split in the conversation and how the whole Voldemort conversation takes place a few minutes later in a whole different location just because it takes away from that emotion that you see from Hagrid. And you both, I think, commented on the rise of emotion Hagrid Mm -hmm. is starting and the rise in anger that he shows in the book. And I think that that just, it cuts it off and you don't get that same level of emotion from Hagrid that you do in the book. I can see that. I do miss the crescendo. (laughs) Crescendos are important. The emotion crescendo. You have to have that build up. It's part of, it's part of entertainment. Hashtag where's my but crescendo. I do agree with you, James, that it was it, it is such a short chapter to really criticize a lot of, of this part. Um, but I just <laughs> and I yet, do, yeah, I just that it, it's hard, but that stood out to me. And that's why it's my piece beef. All right. Well, time for our Weasley salutes. What is something that standed out to you guys? Go ahead. Um, well, I mentioned already 
baby Daniel Radcliffe and showing his emotional depth. And then Fiona Shaw absolutely kills it once again. So I knew you were going to write Fiona Shaw, but I also wrote Fiona Shaw and Richards because I thought his acting was really good this time too. But the both of them really knocked it out of the part. So they were also my reason. Which is why I said in the beginning that I really (laughs) wish they had more to do in the movies because – they were completely cut out of some of them and they have so much they're really great actors who bring really good oh, stuff yeah. to the table and they never got to flesh that out in some of these movies because they just were either cut out all together or their scenes were shortened for something else so yeah. Fiona, it's like yeah. to miss out on Fiona Shaw and Richard Griffith's amazing performances of what could have been is a tragedy but what they did do was amazing anyways, which is why I love them. Yes. What's your My Weasley, Weasley salute? salute is going to have to be... I wish you guys could see the glee <laughs> on his face right now as he's preparing to say this. Yes, so... Yeah, so my Weasley salute is going to have to be Hagrid talking about uh, Lily and James Potter. Because I I just, you read it and you feel how important these characters were and how how impactful their lives were to other people. And you don't, you don't get that in any sense of the way anywhere else. Uh, They're kind of just his parents and they're there and they don't do much. Uh, Whereas in the books, they are physical beings we're getting to know and getting to experience what they were like through the memories of other people. Uh, And that's all Harry has to hold, like, that's all Harry can hold on to is he's learning about all these people that knew uh, who his parents were, and he's getting so much information. And that's what Hagrid's doing right now is he's giving his first look into what who his parents were. And how cool they were and how amazing they were and all these positive things, things that he probably dreamed of, which he could never get to know because Vernon and Petunia never talked about him. They never brought him up. They never mentioned anything. They mentioned he died in a car crash. Don't ever bring it up. And that's kind of a tragedy to a child who knows that they lost their parents and can't really learn anything about them. And so Harry, I I love that Harry and Hagrid are being able to have this moment because that's going to be the first moment of many other moments to come that are going to create the character of Lily and James Potter that we are going to experience way more of that I feel like deserves every moment and every, uh, every respect towards uh, anything. So if you have to salute anything, it's going to have to be his parents and and who they are as people uh, and being able to get to see that in the book or on screen or anything like that. Right. And it's funny that you, mm-hmm. that's your Weasley salute, but then you don't have any peeves peeves because mm-hmm. I feel like that was not evident in the film. Like it was in the book. And it wasn't And if they have to cut something and like, obviously you're going to have to cut something. And that's the part I understand. So I don't have any like negative feelings towards it. But when I read the book, that's the part that stands out to me is that 
that his parents were tangible. His parents were something, and he is getting that for the first time. And he, him as a character is going like, whoa, somebody actually knew my parents and they're talking about them. And they were these cool people that were loved and adored by others. And he's going to experience that again and again and again, as he gets to know more and more and more people that are going to talk about them in such a way that he's going to be like, wow, I really, really wish I had known them, but I'm glad I'm knowing them through this way. Yeah. I can't wait to see how they do this in the show because, I mean, that's so amazing. Like, I can't even imagine, you know, like, almost none of us can imagine something like that. And so I just can't wait to see how they adapt it to a TV show so that we can really feel, you know, how Harry yeah. might feel in that moment. I can't wait for them to announce some more stuff for us to start because yeah. all we know is that the show is coming. We know nothing else. So um to start putting pieces together to see what they can do with the show and how to tell the story and how to tell it differently than the films um i'm i'm ready for some pieces of information here hbo i'm ready for these writers to start getting paid what they're worth so that that way the writer's strike can end and then we can get some more information you're right we probably won't get some information for a while oh boy i know that's (laughs) gonna be an interesting thing to follow Mm mm-hmm uh, well, I did just want to mention one last thing that I, I just read in the script that we haven't talked about, um, and I hadn't taken notes on it, but this chapter is the first time we get any mentions of the McKinnons, the Pruitts, and the Bones, which we will find later are part mm. of the, um, sorry, Order of the Phoenix, Order. thank you. Um, and one particular name that stands out there is the Pruitts, which is Molly Weasley's brothers. Um Oh, that's right. I always forget that. So just a little bit more of that backstory lore um, that could be in the Mm. flashbacks or the the montages, I should say. Yes. Um, But again. Yeah. Or the side mm -hmm. stories that they do spinoffs with. So just all those little nuggets. (laughs) Um, But that, yeah, that was just one last thing I saw out of the script. I hope that they add those into the shows. Like those little things, again, they didn't know in the movies at the she time. She probably just how put names down and she was just like, oh, I probably have to go back and reference those eventually. But she did such a good job. I mean, JK did such a good job of tying things back um, in the later books that you did not even so, think twice about when you read them there's earlier. There's this whole thing called the ring theory, I believe is what it's called. Um, and it's in literature where they mirror each other and jk rowling did such a good job not only throughout the whole series but in each of her books so um obviously talking about the series book four is the pivotal like change and then so three and five mirror each other two and six mirror each other and then one and seven mirror each other um and she did a really great job if you guys have time and listeners you too uh, you really need to look up the ring theory in Harry Potter because it's really fascinating. And it's there's no way she didn't know. Be- or she's just That's a master at going back and reconnecting things if she didn't do if she didn't have the plan. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely go and look at that. I mean, she might have not known ex- exactly who right, each right. kind of character she met. She might not have known the exact thing, but she probably knew like, okay, I'm going to say these character names now and I know I'm going to come back to it later. I think, I mean, she she did too good of a job, in my yeah. opinion, to she not did a really have a good job of world building these people. Yeah. 
Yeah. And again, like I said earlier, she did a really good job of world building and not in a way where she was trying too hard to create this magical world that that it kind of was like, okay, like it's all of these, every single thing about this, every single name that you're giving that's either a person's name or a the name of a building or the name of right. a, an activity or like everything is so completely different that it kind of, it almost takes you out of the world because you're, you're like trying to keep piecing everything together to like remember everything. She did such a good job of doing really, really thorough world building but not taking you out of it because it was so complicated that you couldn't remember or exactly. follow what was going on. You, it was so easy to follow along with her writing. Oh, and Bones is uh, the family name of Susan Bones, who's our uh, mm-hmm. resident Hufflepuff in the books that gets mentioned quite a bit. Yep, she sure is. Yes. <laughs> Your face, Sarah Day. I got to rep the Hufflepuff pride because they really get looked yes. down, down on a lot. It's so. true. I don't like that. Well, I'm here to talk us up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, any other last thoughts, you guys? Not for me. I'm just really, once again, excited to see how they interpret this in the in the TV show. Because even though it is a really small chapter, relatively speaking, there's a lot of background context that they could add in and... um. I think that they could I think that they could draw it out even more um than what you two had said. I think that they could make an even longer episode about it if they wanted to and if they added those montages that they're obviously going to have to add in and stuff. Like I think that they really could um build on this more or if they don't make a whole episode about it then at least you know, make a half at the episode about this or something. So I'm just excited to see how they do that. Agreed. Well, thank you for causing havoc with us today. James, where can listeners find you? Uh, so, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at James M. Beltran. And that's it, because I'm totally still working on all of my, <laughs> you know, potential areas of where you can find me at the moment. So, <laughs> And Meigs, that's me. You can find me at mainly on Instagram at Megan, M-E-G-A-N underscore Lachowski, L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. Um, and then I'm on lots of the social media stuff, but that's where I'm the most active. So, And I am also pretty active on Instagram. You can find me, Sarah Day, at captain.mcd. Next time, we will be discussing Chapter 5, Diagon Alley, and that is minutes 1856 to 2921 of the film. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, if you're as mischievous as we are. If you have any feedback, leave us a voicemail at 409-422-3378. That's 409GABFEST. Or you can email us at peevesgabfest at gmail.com. Join the discussion in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash peevesgabfest. And follow us on Instagram at peevesgabfest. Until next time, Nickel Firsties. Bye.